Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. With Let Them Eat Cake Obliviousness, today the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life, says Justice Katanji Brown Jackson in her dissent. Coming up, Congressman Jim McGovern on a more progressive decision from earlier this week and whether or not his drag shirt was the cause of protest at Pride events in Western Mass. Boy, are we lucky that we at least have her. And right now we're joined in studio by Michi Wionko and Aisha Burns. Violinist and singer-songwriter Aisha Burns was born and raised in Texas, but is currently based in Western Massachusetts. She started with folk rock outfit Alex Dupree and the Trap Door Band, then took her violin to the ensemble Balmoria in 2007. Her debut solo album came out in 2013, but her latest recorded work, 15th Amendment, was released on Juneteenth in the first year of the pandemic and explores that piece of legislature as part of bigger work looking at the Constitution. Seems appropriate. We're <laughs> also joined by Michi Wianko, who's joined us before, talking about the Nero Orchestra with whom she plays violin. Michi has a master's from Juilliard and has worked with a who's who of musicians across the spectrum. Yo-Yo Ma, Rhiannon Giddens, Lori Anderson, VJ Iyer, a native of California and... Michi and her husband now make Western Mass their home. Composer Judd Greenstein is her husband, and they've created a music festival and artistic retreat at their 100-acre hilltop home and former dairy farm in Gill, Antenna Cloud Farm. The Antenna Cloud Walk comes down the hill to Great Falls slash Turner's Falls this Saturday. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. So good. So good to be here. (laughs) Well, first off, Michi, what is Antenna Cloud Farm? For those who are not familiar with the mission of what you've got going on in Gill. Mm -hmm. Antenna Cloud Farm is an artist retreat and music festival that takes place during the summer, although we community build and connect with artists and our local community year-round. Artists come from all over the place, sometimes internationally, to be in retreat um, at our hilltop space where we pamper them and, you know, feed them and lay hammocks out for them (laughs) (laughs) while they work on, you know, various projects. They could be there just to rest um, or they could be there to like cut a new album or develop an opera or some, any, any manner of things. And then usually it culminates in a public performance in either our outdoor stage on, on, on the hilltop or our more intimate indoor space. And you've got a series of those performances that maybe we'll get to talk about, or maybe yes. we'll just have you back again, or some yes. of those performers back in the future. But anytime, line up. Yes, this Saturday though, Antenna Cloud Farm going to come down the hill to Great Falls for the Antenna Cloud Walk, and one of the performers at the Antenna Cloud Walk is Aisha Burns, who joins us in the studio as well. Thank you so much for being here. It is lovely to be with you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Should we start out with the song? Yeah. Let's do it. The song's called "Must Be Away." Must be away Trace the steps back You'll find a better way Take it in stride It's all your Oh, <laughs> 
at 6 p.m. on Saturday at the Antenna Cloud Music Walk in downtown Great Slash Turner's Falls. But the whole walk Aisha is but the So whole, many things uh, happening. Oh, my word. Yeah, come on. That's worth it right there. Seriously. Just, yeah. But then, like, in addition to that, there's all of these other things that are happening around downtown. So let's get into some of them. Yes. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And all over, too, like the, the park and uh, the Discovery Center and like two parks, three parks. 
Yeah. All the parks. Tell the us, park. Michi, some of the people uh, apart from Aisha who you are excited to bring uh, to downtown. Yeah. Well, the whole thing kicks off at Unity Park um, waterfront area at a nice snack parlor, which is located at Nova Motorcycle. And that's going to be like a kid-centered whole thing, which I just got a text on the way into the building that there will also be a food truck there. I don't remember the name of it. That's okay. David King's food truck. Oh. Um, and there's going to be art making by Analia Gregoire, um, live music by James Bird, and then a children's parade leading to the Discovery Center, which will be a new venue for us this year. Um, Travis LaPlante, who is an indescribably fascinating solo saxophonist who does this circular breathing and sort of this fully embodied, almost like sound bathing. He'll be performing in... Um, Great, the Great Hall, which is a gorgeous space. And then a music, we, we're calling it the Music Walk String Quartet, which are members of New England Repertory Orchestra. Nero, who Nero, we referenced earlier. Who we love yeah. and know. Yeah. Um, they will be playing music, uh, string quartet repertoire, new and old, all kinds of cool stuff. It's Spinner Park, which is like a really fun, you know, intimate little outside, beautiful little park. And then everything is going to culminate at Peskyamskit Park, um, Lily Rakaya Chandler will be playing, and um, she refers to her music as love and liberation in musical practice from Hebrew melodies to tr- traditional Mohawk chant. Um, and then the president of Nolambika Project, um, for whom this free event is in benefit of, so if people donate at this event, a su- there's a suggested donation, totally optional, that'll go directly to Nolambika Project in support of the 10th annual Pecumtech Homelands Festival. Um, that, that'll be at 5.30. And then at 6 p.m., we have our amazing Aisha Burns performing, which we're so excited about. And then the evening, the, the day will end with Blood Drum Spirit at 7 p.m., um, a deeply impressive ensemble of musical heavy hitters bringing a new global vision to their craft. So it's a day long. And then there's going to be 10 listening. We're, we're calling them Artist Discovery Listening Center stations located along that whole path. So the idea is the idea is that it's like you choose what you want to do. You do what's comfortable. You do what feels good physically and and, and, and mentally and emotionally you check out this music or you sit on a park bench um, or you just like enjoy Turner's Falls, which is a town we just love dearly. Um, pop into shops, restaurants, um, just enjoy the town. So we're trying to make it as a, an accessible and joyful as an ex- listening experience as possible. I was going to ask you that you bring people up to Antenna Cloud Farm up in Gill. Why have this experience down in downtown uh, Great Falls or Turner's Falls? But I think you just answered that question. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're also it's hoping it's, it's wicked cool and the music is fun. Is the answer? Yeah, totally. <laughs> we're we're hoping that everybody in town will also come up. There you go. Caravan up, just in a big row, in a big line <laughs> up the hill. <laughs> Coming up more with Michi Wianco and Aisha Bar- Burns, who are part of the Antenna Cloud Farm walk that's happening this Saturday throughout downtown Turner's Falls. This is the music of Lily Rekia Chandler, who is also part of that free event happening this Saturday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. This is the music of Travis LaPlante, who is also going to be part of the Antenna Cloud Farm Music Walk happening this Saturday in Turner's Falls. You're listening to the fabulous 413 on NEPM. 
And we have with us Michi Bianco of Antenna Cloud Farm and Aisha Burns, who's going to be performing at that music walk, the farm walk. It's yeah. Antenna Cloud Farm Walk, Pesky Umpsky Park, Saturday at 6 p.m. for free. The whole thing is for free. Mm-hmm. But it's also happening at the Great Falls Discovery Center and at Spinner Park and at Unity Park. It's if you're lucky, maybe I'll take you all to St. Casimir Society yes. and make you members afterwards. We've been waiting. Yeah, we got to do that. But <laughs> let's hear another song from Aisha Burns. All right.
can't say that I'm living as we go. Oh, 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 oh. oh. That is amazing. So beautiful. Aisha Burns live in the fabulous 413. Live for you for free, 6 p.m. Pesky Umskit Park this Saturday as part of an overall Turner's <laughs> Falls day-long free music festival put on by Antenna Cloud Farm. Real quickly before we have to go, Aisha, what drew you to Antenna Cloud Farm to work with them and underneath the things that they're doing? I am a violinist as well, um, and I've played in a lot of um, experimental instrumental ensembles. Um, and so I heard about Antenna Cloud Farm immediately when I moved to Western <laughs> Mass um, and saw them perform in Greenfield, actually. I think it was the end of the Experimental Music yeah. Institute, perhaps. Um, I was like, what is this gorgeous music? I really want to know these people and do something with them. So the stars just kind of aligned in a lucky way for me. It's so exciting. And I'm really excited to have you back, Michi, to talk about some of the things that we have to go up the hill to Gill to see at yes. Antenna Cloud Farm coming up this summer. Maybe we can even get some of those folks into the studio as well. That would you. be amazing, yeah. yeah. Michi Wianco, yes. who is from Antenna Cloud Farm, who's presenting the Antenna Cloud Farm walk for free all over Great Falls, Turner's Falls, this Saturday. And Aisha Burns, I, I don't want to say headlining, but let's say 6 p.m. Pesky Umpskit Park for free. <laughs> Uh, thank you both so much. Do you thank prefer you. guitar you. or violin just because, you know, I, string instrument rivalries? Oh, um, I mean, they're both a part of me, so it's easier if I just like them both, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Simpler for my internal being. That's the answer I would have given. <laughs> violin is my first instrument, though, you know? So I think in terms of just, like, connectedness, I definitely feel like more of a violin player, and guitar is what I accompany my singing with. Well, Do you get to play together? No, but I would love to. Yes. Well, maybe we'll wonderful. see it this weekend. Well, thank you both, Aisha and Michi. Coming up, chickens are not in the trees, but they are in East Hampton. We'll talk poultry with Vincent Corsello and Carl Prawl. <laughs> and up next, Congressman McGovern, on at least one hopefulish Supreme Court decision this week. We needed at least one. Got a question for the congressman, the Fab 413 at NEPM.org or 1-800-639-9120. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. You in D.C. or are you here? No, actually, I'm at a conference in North Carolina. I got here last night and flying back this afternoon, hopefully. A conference uh, about what? Hunger. One of my colleagues, Alma Adams, 
she represents the Charlotte area, invited me to speak at this event that she's doing at Johnson C. Smith University, which is one of these historic black colleges. But uh, it's fresh. I'm in a hotel where I they got a TV set with like 15 controls, and I can't figure out how to put the news. On. <laughs> I feel like I'm the captain of the Starship Enterprise here, trying to figure out how to yeah, whatever. So it, it's not meant to be. Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the Second Congressional District of Massachusetts, Congressman Jim McGovern. McGoverning with McGovern. You can ask questions of the congressman in Western Mass at the Fab 413 at NEPM.org. You can text us 800-639-9120. After we talked last week, Congressman, you went ahead and uh, introduced a constitutional amendment, tweeting, our system is broken. The ultra-wealthy dominate U.S. elections, buying access and influence. That's why today I'm introducing an amendment to the Constitution banning corporate political spending and other actions to make our broken system work for the people, not against us. The amendment was developed by a free speech for the people. John Bonifaz, a lawyer and activist right. in Amherst, talk about this amendment and if it has any chance of actually becoming part of the Constitution. Well, I hope that someday it will be. I, you know, I'm under no illusion that we can get this done in a matter of weeks or months. But the bottom line is we need to get serious about getting money out of our political system. You know, my the very first speech I gave when I first got elected to Congress way back when uh, was on campaign finance reform. You know, I just won a, a a race where I wasn't supposed to win. I was outspent, but nonetheless, I had to spend an awful lot of time trying to raise money just to be heard. And that's not the way our political process should work. Our founders didn't you know, envision a system in which big corporations and people who are well-off and well-connected you know, had all the power, had all the influence. Well, all the and, founding you know, fathers I, were pretty well-off. But the system that they envisioned was not one in which if you wanted to run for office, you had to spend most of your time raising money. And I think they wanted a system in which which ultimately policies would emerge that actually reflected the will of the people, not the will of the corporations. It's we the people, not we the corporations. Big Pharma dictates a lot of what comes out of Congress, unfortunately. Big oil and fossil fuel companies, same thing with regard to our energy policy. If we want to reverse who has the most influence and give it back to the people, we really have to get serious about taking the money out of it. And the Supreme Court with Citizens United and other decisions has made it even more difficult for regular people to be heard. We have to be talking about this and this is, to me, something that will provide people the ability to do just that. Congressman McGovern, what's your relationship to campaign donations where, you know, you have to run every two years and you were saying you have to raise lots of money. Um, are you one of the candidates that said, I'll, I'll, I never take corporate money or how do you thread that needle? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't take corporate PAC money. Um, and I made that pledge right before I became chairman of the Rules Committee, which my campaign staff this day thinks was a mistake because <laughs> it makes it more difficult to raise money. But look, I could do that more easily because my name was a little bit more established than a newcomer starting out. But the bottom line is we, we, we have to start changing the way we finance our politics. There was almost a major change to the way our elections were run this week with the Supreme Court's decision on so-called independent state legislature theory. NPR saying the U.S. Supreme Court Tuesday repudiated the most extreme form of a controversial legal theory that if adopted would have radically reshaped the way elections are conducted, giving state legislatures virtually unchecked power to decide election rules. What's your take on this Supreme Court decision of this week? Well, I'm relieved that they decided it the way they did, because if not, it would have you know, given fuel to those who are pushing the big lie. It would have given state legislatures the ability to nullify election results. I mean, it would basically take away the power of the vote 
that John Lewis would say was precious and almost sacred. This is what uh, the Trump people tried to do, you know, in places like Georgia. And, uh, you know, they tried to basically change the results of the election. Uh, so we averted a, a, a catastrophe here. And again, I'm relieved because I'm not a big fan of the Supreme Court. There's been a major announcement about investment in high-speed internet from the federal government into the state of Massachusetts. $147 for Massachusetts to expand high-speed internet, funding part of $42 billion in federal funds announced by it's, the president. For it's, it's, more than it's more than $147. Oh, did I not say $147 yeah. million? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the real-time fact-checking, Congressman McGovern. $147 million in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jeff in Shelburne wants to know how many of that $147, I mean $147 million, is, is for Western Mass and where? Has that been decided yet? No, well, this, I, I think a big chunk of it has to be for Western Massachusetts because, right. you know, m much of the state already has it. And so we, we, we have to invest in our in our communities. I mean, I you know, it's just like a lot of the infrastructure monies. I mean, I, I mentioned that some of it will be going to small towns like Buckland and others. Uh, all throughout Western Massachusetts. The, the reason why this money has been allocated is because there's a lot of unfinished business, not only in Massachusetts, but throughout the country in terms of broadband, in terms of a whole bunch of stuff. The state ultimately oversees how we're going to do this, but I know our state legislative delegation is working very hard to make sure that nobody gets left behind. So this is a this is a good thing. What is a little bit ironic is we have some of our Republican friends who are tweeting about this and posting on Facebook about how wonderful this is, and they voted against the legislation that provided the money, but yet nonetheless they're taking a bow for it anyway. Speaking with Congressman Jim McGovern, you've been having your coffee with a congressman in Grafton and Sutton, Northbridge yeah. and Upton. I know that when we did the Asparagus Festival, you just come from a coffee with the congressman in Amherst. Are the type of right. questions they're asking you in Grafton and Sutton and Northbridge and Upton different than the uber-progressive People's Republic of Amherst? Well, you know, uh, they're a little bit different, but here's the thing. You know, the towns that you just mentioned are much more conservative towns, but the questions were pretty much the same. They weren't that different. Um, people, um, you know, were not hostile. Um, they were actually wanting me to fight harder. They're worried about our democracy. Uh, they're worried about that Trump might become president again. I mean, they, they're, they're frightened of that. People get up and say, I'm a Republican, but I do not like this. And I don't want him anywhere near the White House again. I mean, we, we, we can't let this happen. So, you know, so the concerns are pretty much the same everywhere. I mean, even in, in, in more conservative parts of my district, you know, people had questions about the cost of health care, cost of prescription drugs. How do we finance the education of our kids? I mean, environmental questions, open space questions. How does the war in Ukraine end? I mean, all those things, I mean, maybe asked a little differently, but by and large, the concerns are pretty consistent throughout the district. I know you were at a lot of Pride events this week, Congressman. Yep. North Brookfield, Worcester is celebrating the Stonewall anniversary with the Equity Caucus. Uh, any pushback from your constituents about all of the pictures that uh, we I saw on your social media <laughs> with uh, different drag queens across the Commonwealth? Yeah, some. My shirt in, um, that I wore in uh, North Brookfield was drag is art and drag is a right. So some people push back on that. But look, you know, here's the thing. We went to North Brookfield, which, by the way, is no longer in my district. I lost it, but it was a regional thing, so uh -huh. I was asked to go, and I went. There were some protesters there, people shouting some pretty awful things. But there was also the, the kind of a this group called the Parasol Patrol, some of them from West Massachusetts who came there with their rainbow umbrellas and stood in front of the people shouting hateful things so that a lot of young people who were coming to this event didn't feel like they were being targets or they felt more welcome. And I really loved 
notion of the parasol patroller were wonderful. But here's, it was raining like crazy on and off on that Saturday. And by far, there were more people, you know, who were there to support the community uh, than those who were protesting. They anyway, had parasols, which I know are technically for the sun, but they're umbrellas. So there you go. They can, yeah, the parasol patrol yeah. was but well was, taken care of. But, but, but look, having pride events in places like North, North Brookfield are really important. We have them in places like Worcester and Boston and Northampton and Amherst all the time. And, and that's important to continue to do that. But it's also important to do it in, in places like North Brookfield because there are young people there who are growing up, you know, who are afraid to be who they are because they're not sure that they will be accepted, that they'll be respected, that they'll be treated with dignity. And this incredible group of people that gathered together that through this incredible celebration, I think made it clear that, you know, people in this state no matter whether you're in a big city or a small town or a college town or, a, you know, a factory town, we are not going to stand by and allow anybody in our community to be disrespected. They're our allies. It was really inspiring. I, I had a wonderful time. It was a, a real privilege to be there. Did you unveil your drag character and the drag character name that I gave you last year on the radio? Leggy Slator? I did not, okay. but I, I, you know, there, we have a, a number of events. Pride Month is still, still going. This month. I, may, I, uh, I may show up in my but, drag character Rhonda Santis. Yeah, well maybe we could we can unveil our characters together. We okay. gotta find and that we both can be at. But I, I have to be, I was really proud of our community. It makes me proud to be from Massachusetts. And I hope that what we're doing here is contagious. It's been a good week all around. And, and here I am in, in North Carolina today to speak at a hunger conference. And my hope is that I can get on a plane afterwards and make it back to Worcester for the fireworks tonight. Well, good luck to you with that. Thanks as always for checking in with us here on the Fabulous 413. And if you've got a question for U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Jim McGovern, you can email us the Fab 413 at any pm.org or text us 1-800-639-9120 and I'll ask on your behalf. Thanks as always, Congressman. All the best. Talk to you soon. And if you were wondering why I didn't bring up any of the other Supreme Court decisions that just came down, it's because Congressman is a busy guy. So he's in all sorts of like Congressman conferences and colloquies and things right now. I think the reporter thing to say would be those decisions had not been publicized at the time that we spoke with the Congress. Right. But if you're uh, just tuning in, the Supreme Court has rejected affirmative action at U.S. colleges. The president of the United States. Race isn't a thing anymore. Neither is, is gender. This is not a normal court. You've got the former first lady, Michelle Obama, weighing in, saying my heart breaks for any young person out there who's wondering what their future holds and what kind of chances will be open to them. We will be certain to ask Congressman McGovern about the recent decisions that came out this afternoon next week, as well as any other question, whether you're a a flaming liberal or you're the MAGAist Republican. I'm happy to ask those questions. You can email them to us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us. Ask him the hard things. I love asking him the hard things. Right. 800-639-9120 is the number to text. Up next, we head to East Hampton for Poultry is Magic. That's not exactly it, but we'll witness the magical collaboration and community between Underline Farm and Corsello Bucharia. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Before some unnamed 
corporations turned it over on its head. Chicken, you know, you've heard the, the politician term, a chicken in every pot. Mm-hmm. That was because chicken was not available to everybody. It was not the cheap meat. It was a very delicate, very fancy, wealthy thing. And, and so that's something to be remembered about when we're raising chickens is that to scale up, there's a certain limit to it. And we have to not only transform this food system, but transform people's tastes. Butcheria, not a real word. It's a made-up word. And I love that. Machalaria is the real word. What is it? Machalaria. It reminds (laughs) me of the kind of things that my grandmother would have said in a Tanglish. Nana, tell me how to say cheers to 100 years in Italian. Salute. How do I say it's so easy? I turn my rear end and it's done. With the twist of my ass. Yeah, say it. Can I hold out of the ghoul? Or gabagool. Gabagool. So, so butchery is to butcher shop as gabagool is to capicola. And we're with Vincent Corsello from Corsello Butcheria in East Hampton. Soon to be Springfield. Woohoo! We're very well. excited yeah. about that. Right around the corner from my house. Don't come find my house. Yeah, you've decided, Calice, <laughs> that you have wanted to live near a Corsello butcheria for a long time. It was accidental both times, yeah. but I'm also grateful both times. But we're not inside Corsello butcheria on Cottage Street in East Hampton. We're at a farm. Where are we, Vincent? We are on Tory Street in East Hampton, which is, uh, I live across the street, and this is Underline Farm. Along Underline. What's your name? I'm Carl Prawl, owner-operator of Underline Farm. And this is a local hero spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the local hero. Folks, why are we meeting out in this field when we're talking about Corsello Butcheria, Phil? Because the Butcheria has always made it a point of sourcing from local farms, not just for economic reasons, but for community building and sustainability reasons. And they've discovered each other. It's kind of like a love story of commerce. Well, it's <laughs> easy when you live right across the street, right? Yes, but <laughs> here's the crazy thing is that... It was a little more random that I found out about him. I've always known about this farm. This They've had beef cattle here, which I've gotten before. And then Carl came into my shop one day and he said, oh, I got chick- I raised chickens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, where do you raise chickens? And he says, East Hampton. I'm like, East Hampton? How cool. Chickens in East Hampton. Where? At the old Mockingbird Farm. That's across the street from my house. I breathe the same air as those chickens. It couldn't get much more local than that. Right. Carl, tell us about the farm and the history of the farm and your farming. Well, I've uh, been raising birds now for, gosh, almost seven years. I started as a small hobby farm up in Ashfield, ran a CSA out of there, and then about 15 months ago decided to move to flatter land, brighter pastures, and Mm -hmm. ended up here on Torrey Street, where I'm raising the best chicken in the world. Nice. What makes them the best? Well, they are regeneratively grown. I raise them on pasture where they're able to eat their salad and their bugs. They're given a supplement of organic grain that comes out of Greenfield. They get processed in Sunderland. It's a whole lot of local jobs creating just a product that is the top quality. You won't taste better chicken. I believe it. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with your story, Vincent Corsello from Corsello Bucheria, which we mentioned is not a real Italian word. <laughs> you, it's an understandable Italianish word. Italian-ish. But tell us your history with becoming a butcher. I lived in uh, Rome for seven years. I went there uh, because of my Italian roots. I learned a language and in that process I went to the markets and I met my butchers who were in ended up becoming my butchers. This is the Sarder family. We became friends with them. We even vacationed 
mind with them. You know, I would go to the counter and I would see all this wonderful stuff, stuff I didn't have any idea was, heads and kidneys and this kind of stuff. You know, I would ask and they would tell me what it was and how to cook it. That's how I lived, right? Very simply, very, you know, good quality meat that's uh, seasonal, local. And then I came back to the U.S. and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of that around. And so uh, I was in the software sector as a project manager and uh, I didn't like it too much. I got laid off. So what was I going to do? Go find another job? My wife said, you've always wanted to open up a butcher shop. And I said, gosh. So I called up the Sarder family and they said, come on over here and train with us. And so it worked out. It was serendipitous. And uh, I have a butcher shop that I, I buy the animals directly from the farms. I don't know their names, but they I do know pretty much everything about them. You know, this is one example of that. I get chicken now. From across the street from where from you live. From across the street from where I live. What do you mean when you talk about regenerative practices? Carl from Underline Farm right here across the street from Vincent's house in East Hampton. Yeah, so I guess what I mean is it's not only sustainable. We hear a lot about sustainable agriculture these days and not being extractive. But with regenerative, we've got all kinds of farmland, pasture land that has been depleted over decades, even centuries of agriculture. And with regenerative, we are putting organic matter back into the soil. It's helping sequester carbon. It's helping make a more diverse landscape. And in general, just leaving it better than we found it. I'm wondering if you can walk us over to where the chickens are. Field trip. Do the chickens have large talons? Do the chickens have large talons? It's a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Every time I think about chickens, I always think about that line where it's like, do the chickens have large talons? I don't understand a word you just said. Further proof that they're just tiny dinosaurs. Tiny dinosaurs. Yes. When you look at a chicken, you can appreciate that they evolved from dinosaurs. And you just look at them with a look in your eyes, shake your head and go, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Who's this dog that's accompanying us? That's the farm manager. What's the farm manager's name? Her name is Leche. She takes her job very seriously. Leche. She's also the unofficial Northampton Tuesday market dog, the Sunday East Hampton market dog. Oh, nice. The Greenfield Saturday Market dog, so she gets around. I get a fresh batch of birds every two weeks throughout the summer. It's a cyclical process. We process about 100 to 200 birds every week and just continue the process through the summer. That's definitely one of the tricks to livestock in New England is you've got to compete with winter and I've decided not to. Don't touch the electric fence. It's actually off. Okay, good. Anybody it's always, like uh, it's here? tempting. Don't whiz on the electric fence. Don't think that that wasn't already going to be a drop in this interview at some point. Do you have coyote slash fox problems? There are a lot of coyotes, a lot of foxes, red-tailed hawks who live up in those trees right there, black oh, yeah. bear, any kind of predator that we find in western mass it's on this farm they're, they're brazen too they're used to uh <laughs> yeah. so you'll have foxes just kind of stare at you them, from but like the deer are getting real bold like i can walk up to them now they're like hey what's up and i'm like this is not how this is supposed to be happening <laughs> soon they'll start talking i think i'll call him ben here we are with all your chickens. You can see the different batches, the different sizes. The ones right here are actually going to be processed tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. So that's why all the crates are around. Oh, yeah. 
can tell them now. Yeah. Sorry, Go Howie. We're gonna take you. Belly. We're gonna take you to the farm. Oh no, that's where my dog went. Oh. Is my dog here? Well, they do go to the farm as well. Just Reed Farm. No, do they get the roam, the rain of this whole little fenced area usually? No. Or? So the outer perimeter is an electric fence. That's to keep the predators away. That's to uh. keep the coyotes and foxes out. You can kind of see how the grass behind the coops has been trampled down, nice and green. Every day, at least once a day, they get moved onto fresh ground. So they've got fresh salad to eat, all the fresh bugs. They spread their manure out, but they are also kept contained because they're not the smartest animal in the world and <laughs> red-tailed hawks are. It's for your own good, chickens. Yeah, yeah. Not you know, so you much can... the chickens in the trees song from Sesame Street. Oh, there are chickens in the trees. It's a foul song. We already said they were dumb though. We said that they're not as smart as red-tailed hawks. That's true. And frankly, there are very few organisms that are. And in certain aspects, they're very naive and not very street smart. Like but why did they layers. cross the road? They're not street smart. <laughs> It was only to get to the other side the entire That's time. It's a dad joke. All his jokes are dad jokes. <laughs> I am a dad. Anyway, they're not that dumb, but they are sentient animals that we need to take care of, right? And and treat in a dignified, you know, kind of way, an ethical way. And that's that's what we got going on here. They have a lot of room and they move around. And if we did leave them out vulnerable, they would still be in clumps. This is the, the compromise between good raising and safety. I've asked people about their chicken and why, you know, why some chicken's better than others. And most farmers tell me the, the key is, you know, besides obviously the what they eat and stuff is, is fresh air. So even if you raise chickens indoors, what's key is not so much that they have all this room because as long as they can move around, that, that's fine. It's it's that they get fresh air. That's what, Vincent, what the butcher from Corsello Butcheria. What does Carl, the farmer from Underline Farm in East Hampton think? Is that the same? I would absolutely agree. You know, we are what we eat, so I think that the diet is a large part of that too, but... Are you calling me chicken? Nobody calls me chicken. No. I would never do such okay, a thing. Okay, good. But you could if you wanted. It's fine. Yeah, it would be true. It would be true. <laughs> I do think it's a lot to do with the diet and just being outside, being in what is a natural environment. And, you know, they have sunshine, fresh air, good food. It makes a diverse, complex final product. Can you talk a little bit about the breed? Yeah, so I've raised all kinds of different birds, and I've settled on these. They're a Cornish cross. The feedback has been these taste the best. They get to the size that people want. They're the classic looking white chickens with the red crests and all that. Though. Yeah, they, they're definitely the classic looking chicken. You know, the Cornish cross is, um, or the Cornish roaster is, is probably what 90% of birds are that are raised for eating. But the breed is less important. It's, it's, it's really what they the, eat. Yeah, it's the environment. The treatment, you know, that type of thing. So you're processing at Reed Farm about 100 to 200 a week, or exactly. So it's um, you know, batches of 300 we get every two week, and we split that up between the weeks. When you eat, when you say get them, where are they coming from? So they come from a hatchery down in Pennsylvania, Moyers Hatchery. They are large enough to offer the scale to make the chicks economical. You know, we need to find somebody local who wants to start raising birds and hatching and incubating because mm -hmm. there's all kinds of farmers around here who would buy them but it's what we do right now i think who knows that hope could come true because part of reed farms business model was to make it possible for farmers to grow chickens and be processing locally so as more farmers take that up and as we as consumers decide when we're eating chicken whether it's on a sandwich at the butchery <laughs> or somewhere else that demand will enable people to take that risk 
helping that kind of business. And even the Reed Farm is a recent development, right? Because mm-hmm. the only closer abattoir, which is the uh, euphemism of to say slaughterhouse, uh, was in Athol, right? That was the other closest. Athol, one? and sometimes people actually had to go into Vermont. Mm-hmm. Athol did not do, do poultry. Oh, poultry, no. So you had to cross state lines often and go up to Vermont, and that was just hard on the birds and hard on the farmer. The whole idea is, yeah, like we, we take step at a time, right? So now we have Reed Farm. They can process. I've always had a dream of opening a slaughterhouse in this in this area. I don't want it to be my business. I want it to be more of a co-op model or something mm-hmm. like that. That mm-hmm. farmers, you know, I have two cattle. I need to slaughter, and you know, maybe it's not even a full-time operation. But the second step on that is that ultimately the slaughterhouses, whether it's in Athol, I go to one in in Canaan. Their biggest problems are not just the harvesting of them, but then they have to cut them up. Maybe a first step in this area would be to bring uh, some kind of USDA inspected processing facility. I think there's a way we have to unlearn this economy of scale that we sort of have created because it satisfied very, very big companies driven by federal government policy. So when people are thinking about, well, what does it mean to slaughter chickens here? It means such a very different thing. And the way we raise them is so different and the scale is so different. There's no sustainability to how you're using the waste products of those animals. And it's kind of a mess, but it makes money for a few. I know these are primarily raised for meat, but do any of them accidentally lay? What happens when there's eggs? You just take them home. Chuck them at somebody's car. There are no eggs. There are no eggs. Yes. Yeah, so they sterile? They're not sterile, but it takes a bird about 22, 24 weeks to get to laying age. That's where the poults will start laying the little eggs. and so it's that's beyond where these guys... And that's beyond where they'll get gotcha. to. We're with Carl from Underline Farm in East Hampton, and we're on the farm, and we're with Vincent Corsello from Corsello Butcheria, also in East Hampton, but about to be in Springfield. you want to give us a little teaser about what we're to expect? The Springfield, that's a really neat kind of collaborative aspect using community, sharing community. I plan on having underlying chickens available in Springfield along with the other products we make. We have a baker there. We have Nosh Bakery. We have Monsoon Roastery. We have some other folks who are like Wicked Whisk and Happy Man who do some fun things with dehydrating or freeze drying. And then I'll have my stall there. So it'll be like a market cafe. Oh, there's urban artisan farms too. And and Jack grows like microgreens and and we're going to have a greenhouse on site. We're going to see if we can raise chickens for the eggs, not for we don't want to go into competition with anybody, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be worth your time. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be urban birds. They'd be a little, oh, no. they'd be a little no, dicey. No, no. Right? Fresh air, you said. You want yeah. fresh air. Springfield is known for its fresh air. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, at Gasoline Alley, right? It's yeah. better yeah. than it used to be. That's you know, true. It's better but than it used to be. Thanks to a lot of hard work from the people of Springfield. Casey Corsello is part of the Corsello Butteria family. What are you excited about, about the uh, new Springfield location? The people, the collaborative nature of the group, the place, the location is amazing mm-hmm. and Albany Street. Albany Street and it's a good vibe and I think as a business owner it's pretty lonely and then the collaborative approach to it gives more hands in the pie so to speak people to talk with and problem solve you know all the kind of good stuff that helps entrepreneurship. Are you glad you pushed him out of the world of computers into the world of being a butcher? It was him. I didn't push he, him He there. said you. When I told you I got laid off, the first thing you said to me was, well, now you can open up your butcher shop. Well, only because I believe in science from the universe. And so <laughs> I'm like, oh, I guess this is where you got to go now because what else are you going to do? But when you first told me and you had a job, I was like, mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> no. but yeah. 
universe is funny like that. So Carl, let's just be transparent. You do this work. It takes a lot of your time, but you also have to do other work to make a living. There's certain realities to scale that we haven't reached yet. I do think I raise the highest quality chicken you can find, but we're not quite raising enough yet. So yeah, I have a day job at East Hampton Machine and Tool here in town. You know, Chris and Laura are wonderful people. They give me the flexibility to make this happen. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have people who are understanding and support local agriculture on all kinds of levels. We love local. We love ethically raised stuff, but the ethics go along also with the people. It's an ecosystem. I, I kind of hate that word, but it's an <laughs> ecosystem where, where people are helping one another, right? And it's not these individual entities. He's the farmer. I'm the butcher. It's, it's a little more connected and that's what really gets me excited weaving know. a basket of community problems arise in life too and you know if you do have that community if you know your neighbors names if you know the people who you're involved in you can speak to them you can explain the situation and they'll be there when you need them and hopefully you can be there for them as well the road is smoother when you have the community behind you you don't have to carry the whole load yourself <laughs> Apologies to vegetarians and vegans for that segment right there. But uh, Phil Corman from CISA is a vegetarian himself. CISA are also underwriters, as is Corsello Butria. Full disclosure. And in the further spirit of full disclosure, NEPM is a sponsor of the Antenna Clown Farm Music Walk, along with River Culture and Suzanne Lomanto, Greenfield Cooperative Bank, Mass Cultural Council, and more. That's who we were talking to earlier in the yes. show. And once again, you can go there on Saturday downtown Great Falls, Turner's Falls for free. Here are all the fun things that people are up to, all the experimental music that I, they make. I went last year and it was really unbelievable. Every time you talk to me about events happening with Antenna Cloud Farm, I'm just envious because they sound absolutely amazing. Yes, and we will have them on again. It is worth noting, I mean, Michi Wianko works with Yo-Yo Ma, so maybe we'll all go to Tanglewood together and hang out with Yo-Yo. That would be like a dream come true. <laughs> you would really achieve the highest echelon of public media. I feel like next like week when we talk to our Tanglewood correspondent, you can maybe throw that out there. Yes, and our Tanglewood correspondent is BSO conductor Keith Lockhart. Yes, indeed. Tomorrow on The Fabulous 413, freedom should be for everyone, but it sure doesn't always feel like that. Frederick Douglass felt that strongly, and his essay about the 4th of July still resonates today and is read all over the state. We'll have folks from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, as well as some of those readers, come by to explore this insightful work. Our first wine thunderdome in Franklin County. We hang out with Dree Rawlings of Ashfield Lake House and pit two wines from her cellar against each other. And for Live Music Friday, the very band that made our opening music, Spouse, will join us just before their show at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke. Good thing we're moving into the bigger studio tomorrow. Uh, they know, are a, a big band. They are, but it's good. Our director is Tony Mollifying Toddler's Meltdown Done. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Tony Don. <laughs> Our engineer is Betsy, stumbled into a petting zoo, was not impressed, Lankto. Our technical team is Bart, sir, still not appearing in this broadcast, Rankin, Kara, <laughs> high-pitched Foster, and punk Rude Boy Dubay. <laughs> Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Michi Wianko, Aisha Burns, Travis LaPlante, Lily Rakiak Chandler, Drum Blood Drum Spirit, oh my, Jay Giles Band, Suitcase Junket, the Star Trek theme, Ren and Snippy, Back to the Future, The Meters, I'm Khalees Smith. I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see, see you tomorrow, tomorrow on the, the Fabulous, Fabulous 413. 413.